Hey everybody, what's going on? Welcome to another episode of Take Action. Now, I think I said this last week, we went back and checked the records. It is official that you have been with us for 50 episodes of Take Action. That means for almost a year, you've allowed me to invade your space and I pray and I hope that your life is made the better as a result of us spending the last 50 weeks with one another. I'm so excited about the message for today. And I know I say it every week, but I have a passion for the word of God. And here at the Lighthouse Church in the year of manifested promises, we are in the month of passion. And we are talking about the passion of Christ, the passion it takes to serve him, the passion that comes uh, from a consistent work in Christ. And listen, I don't often say this, but if I were you, I'd head over to Keon Henderson TV on YouTube and I'd watch the uh, rebroadcast of this past uh, Sunday's message. I'm desperate for a change. I've been getting feedback from all over the world, both people close and far, of how convicted they were about the message that God gave me to give to you. So listen, if you're looking uh, for a way to invoke and provoke change in your life, Go over to Keon Henderson TV on YouTube and watch the message Desperate for Change and share it with everybody you know, because sometimes you can have a conversation with somebody by sharing a link. They may not hear it coming from you. Uh, they just may hear it from the resource that you share. And we're all called to be evangelists, you know, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Internet has provided us an opportunity to be able to share the word of God in that regard. Um, I'm also wanting to get you to the place where your generosity to God isn't provoked uh, by the word you receive, uh, but by the continuous countenance and position of your heart. And there was a scripture uh, in uh, Proverbs chapter number 11, um, verse 23. The Bible says, the desire of the righteous is only good but the expectation of the wicked is wrath. There is that scattereth and yet increaseth, and there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it leads to poverty. And when I read that scripture today, I want you to make sure that throughout this message that you're deciding what you're gonna give, because this is the 50th uh, episode of Take Action, and in the Bible, the year 50 is associated with a term called Jubilee. And the year of Jubilee was every 50 years. And all of the debts were canceled um, according to Israel's balance sheets, specifically because of this year. Not because they were good, not because they were perfect, but because they were in a season where God uh, was getting ready to erase debts. And I'm praying, prophesying, and believing that as you prepare your heart to give today on this 50th episode of Take Action, I am speaking into your life that God is going to erase the debt, that he's going to erase the student loan debt. Some of you all are going to pay your cars off. Some of you all are going to get out of medical debt. Some of you all are going to get out of student loan debt. I believe credit card debt, it's going to happen. And so I want you to purpose in your heart that you're going to scatter this day. In fact, they're putting instructions up on the screen right now because some of you all are like, <laughs> I'm not going to wait until this message is over to take a part of that favor. 
I'm going to take advantage of it right now. And for those of you all who do, I speak into your life that you're going to start to see relief even before this message comes to a conclusion. That being said, I want to start off with a question. Um, and it's a very important question. And I want to look you right in your eye. And I want to ask you this question. And I want you to allow me to be your spiritual advisor and proxy right now. And I'm going to ask you a question. And that question is this. What kind of impact do you think it would have on your life personally if you witnessed a continuous stream of nonstop miracles in your life? I'm going to ask the question again. What kind of impact do you think it would have on you, your children, um, those you give leadership over, those you walk life with, a spouse? What kind of impact do you think it would have on your life personally if you walked into a season where every single day you woke up or every single situation you entered or every moment of possibility was met by a stream of nonstop miracles in your life? I want you to think about it. That every day is an opportunity for a stream of nonstop miracles. Well, I ask you that because many of you may think that that's like out of the realm of possibility, but it isn't so far-fetched. Um, it's exactly what happened to the children of Israel when they left Egypt and they wandered into the wilderness for 40 years. And, and for the first time in my life, I looked at the wilderness a lot differently than I'd ever looked at it before because I had... Prior to this, I'd always looked at the wilderness as this thing that was given to Israel as a result of their rebellion after coming out of Egypt. <clears throat> but the truth is, is that's not all true. Whether Israel was rebellious or not, they were always going to end up in the wilderness. The rebellion turned an 11, 13 day journey into 40 years. But no matter what, they were always going to have two weeks at the minimum of discomfort. When I thought about that, it really changed my entire mind about the wilderness and how I would preach about it. Now, to add to that, uh, in one of my devotional times, I came across a scripture that I've never preached on. It's a two verse passage of scripture in the book of Hebrews, chapter three, verse nine. And I'm going to go back to eight, but I want to start at verse nine because I've read the entire book of Hebrews before. But it never hit me the way it hit me when I went back in my devotion time and actually paid attention to verse nine in its context without the entire context of the entire chapter. I just zeroed in on nine and then I went back and I saw something different. And I want you to open your Bible or open your app or open up your heart as I read to you Hebrews chapter three, verse nine. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter three, verse nine, it says, when your fathers tempted me, proved me and saw my works, for 40 years. When I tell you that sentence made no sense to me until the other day when I was studying this. When your fathers tempted me, one word, proved me, and then they saw me. So we're going to talk about tempting God, proving God, and seeing God. And how you get into a place where you can see a continuous, non-stop flow of miracles in your life that are transposable, listen to me, not only to you, but to your children and your children's children. 
your fathers tempted me, they proved me, and they saw my works for 40 years. Now, the word tempted, and, and because this is a New Testament passage, all of the transliterations are going to be in Greek words uh, because the New Testament is predominantly uh, in, in Greek. Paradazo is the word for tempted. And it means to put an object to the test for the purposes of seeing, listen to this, if the quality is as good as the claim. So when God says, when your fathers tempted me, he's basically saying that the, the, the children of Israel, those who came out of Egypt and went through the wilderness, they actually tempted God to see if God was as good as advertised. Now, before I get too far into this message, how many of you all will, will at least testify online that God is as good as advertised? Now, this is like one of those church moments that I would just literally have to sit back and just let the church just go crazy. I would just have to, I would just have to stop right here and just let the church go crazy. Let me just ask you, and you could, you could put fire in the chat. You can put uh, um, waved or raised hands in the chat. Uh, you, you can put a salute in the chat, whatever. But I just want to know, how many of you all know that God is as good as advertised? Like, like God has never failed. He has never let you down. God is as good as advertised. So, so, so they were testing him to see if he was as good as advertised. And in the wilderness, the children of Israel were in a situation that demanded a continuous miraculous flow. If they didn't have miracles in the wilderness, they would not have survived. They're in the desert. So, so let me ask you a question. Where is the nearest grocery store in the Serengeti? I want somebody to Google and send me the address to the Walmart or to the Target or to the nearest grocery store in the wilderness. Somebody tell me where, where Jacob's well is in the wilderness. Somebody tell me where the faucet is, where you can turn on the water and have a, con a continuous flow of filtered tap water in the wilderness. Somebody tell me where the barbecue pit is in the wilderness. Somebody tell me where the baked chicken is in the wilderness. You know why you can't give me the coordinates? Because it doesn't exist. The wilderness known is known for being barren. It has no accoutrements. It has, it has nothing to provide. In fact, any animal that can survive the wilderness, we often laud and applaud it because it survives in an arid and a dry place. There are no accoutrements in the wilderness. You can only survive in the wilderness by faith and by intervention. And I speak into your life right now that over the next few years, everything in your life is going to happen by faith and by intervention. Sweatless miracles and opportunities coming into your life, your faith is going to be met with God's divine intervention. Now, if they hadn't had that divine intervention of God, they would not have survived by a show of virtual hands. How many of you all would agree with that? Okay. I don't, I don't think that there is, there is any confusing information about the fact that without God, they would not have survived the wilderness. So what this is telling me is something that I've never considered. And I hope you'll consider it with me. Listen to this. 
I always knew that the wilderness primarily was a result of Israel's rebellion and reaction to God's goodness to them. According to this text, it has a secondary purpose, which could primarily be the primary purpose, depending on how you look at it. The wilderness was not just a result of their rebellion. For the first time in my life, I see the wilderness as a controlled environment by God, implemented intentionally so he could demonstrate who he was. That, that for any Bible readers, that, that's, that's another level of, of appreciation and excitement for the word of God. That this is not just Israel's passageway and punishment. This is actually an intentional space in their lives, intentionally sparked by God on purpose for the sole purpose of demonstrating to Israel who he actually was. God help me. I'm telling you that sometimes the trouble you are in, sometimes the circumstances you are confronted with, sometimes the predicament you find yourself in is God's constructed playground so that he can show your demons who the real bully is. God actually wants to create a playground in your life so he can show every one of your giants they're not bigger than him. God actually creates this environment, puts you in the environment with no directions so that he can come in and show you that he is the way, the truth, and the life. So for the first time in my life, I now look at the wilderness as not a reaction to rebellion, but actually an opportunity for God to show me how good he is. How many of y'all want God to show you how good he is? How many of you all are ready to walk into a situation in life where God uses you, watch this, and picks you out of many? He actually wants to pick you to prove to everybody else how good he is. Matter of fact, anybody who needs goodness right now, just put in the chat, I volunteer. <laughs> I volunteer for miracles. I volunteer for, for signs. I volunteer for wonders. I volunteer for millions unexplained. I volunteer for business acumen. I volunteer for business opportunities. I volunteer for kings to know my name and open the city gates to me. I volunteer for city councilmen and city controllers and mayors and state representatives and presidential candidates to know my name so that when the next wave happens, I am seen as a person who's a part of the future. And I prophesy right now that even in your wilderness, your name is being written. Written. Even in your wilderness, your finances are being attended to. Even in your wilderness, God has you on his list and God is about to catapult you and he's about to reveal to you that where you are right now, it is not punishment, it's a setup so that God can reveal to you how good he is in spite of how bad it is. Somebody just type, he's good. 
He's good. There's an old statement in the church that says, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. And I want you to know that God is so faithful that even when it's bad, he's good. God is so faithful that even when it's tough, he's tenacious. God is so good that even when you've taken a step from him, he will take a step forward towards you. He's telling Israel that while you are complaining, I'm about to show you you're actually marked by mercy. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you that God has created, listen to me, he's created this one-lane highway so that you and him can collide intentionally. He's taken away the left, the right, the roundabout, the cul-de-sac. He's put you on a one-lane highway with two-way traffic to instigate a collision with you and your destiny. But you have to realize it. And this is what most people don't do. They don't realize the mercy that they are receiving. The children of Israel, the Bible says that they provoked him. That word provoked comes from the word that means tested. And after the tests, it is discovered that it is genuine and authentic. So God says in verse 9 that they saw God work for 40 years, and they found out that after the 40 years, and sometimes during the 40 years, that he was actually genuine, authentic, and true. Can I just speak to about 400 of you? you you're about to see God. Listen to me. That, I'm about to run. I'm about to run. Because most of y'all are looking for God to do something right now. Here's what I'm getting ready to tell you. You are about to go on a 40-year run with God. <laughs> that means somebody in their 30s is about to see a nonstop onslaught of miracles into their 70s. Do you hear the words that are coming out of my mouth? I'm not talking about God blessing your January. I'm talking about God blessing your next four decades. I'm talking, I'm talking to somebody right now that's getting ready to see an onslaught of providence from God on a 40-year stretch. I got to stop because if you ain't shouting, I ain't talking to you. I don't even, get them, get them away from me. Well, they, they not here. I'm going to look broad because if I look close, something's going to happen. I, what, I'm talking about a 40-year run that you get to go to bed 365 a day times 40 and wake up and know that Monday's taken care of. Tuesday is going to be prosperous. Wednesday's going to be off the chain. Thursday's going to be even greater. Friday, every day you wake up, is going to be Sunday. Every day's going to be the month of May. And you're not going to have to wait till you get to heaven to experience it. A 40-year run of nonstop miracles starts today. Somebody shout, I'm on the run. I'm on the run. 40 years worth of miracles. That means my mama's going to be blessed. My mama's mama, if she's still here, is going to be blessed. I got enough to send to my children. I got enough to scatter. He gives seed to the sower. 40 years. I'll be 80 before this thing stops. If that don't excite you, it's because you haven't proved him to be genuine and be true because all of God's promises are yea and amen. And if he said it, it shall come to pass. 40 years of providence. Now, this is what killed me. When I looked up the word proved, I understood what it meant in the Greek. But when I looked at the grammatical structure of the word proved, it takes it a step further. And it means, watch this, 
a continuous seeing. That means I'm going to walk into a level of blessing that everywhere I go, I'm going to find favor. Look at Joseph. Once Joseph got out of that pit, it didn't matter if he was in Potiphar's house. It didn't matter if he was in prison. It, wherever he went, the Bible says he found favor. I don't care where you are. If you go to jail today, they're going to put you in charge of the jail. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? I'm talking about a continuous flow of favor. Now, let me go back and explain. Come here, Will. I think I'm ready to talk to him again. Uh, Y'all don't know whoa, his name. He got like four names. His name Jason Christopher. It's just, he got a lot of names, but he a beast on his camera. I wish I could have him turn around and show himself. What kind of shoes you got on, whoa? Them cold. Show him your shoes, whoa. Take, look at that. Swagged out. Swagged out for the Lord. Bring it back up. I want to talk to him again, whoa. Because I don't think, I don't think they understand what took place. Okay. When you hear that manna fell in the heaven, from heaven and water came out of a rock and, and quail came to them, you know why you don't get excited? Because when selfish people hear revelation, they only can see enough revelation to feed them. So when you think water out of a rock, this is all the water you see. <laughs> Bishop, is that good? When, they, when, when, we see, when we see manna falling from heaven, you see a few croissants just falling from the sky. When you hear quail, all you think is, a, is, is enough to feed you. It's three million people out there. So when the Bible says that manna fell from the sky, that means that at least one to two pieces of full bread had to fall for every single person out there, which means we're talking about Three to six million pieces of bread falling from the sky. One writer said it had to be, in order to feed three million people, it had to be 4,500 tons of bread falling from the sky. That's nine million pounds of bread falling from the sky. Are you listening to me? That's, that's the weight of 2,002. That's, that's 2,200 cars just falling from the sky. In 40 years, you equate that, that's 67,700,000 pounds of bread. That is 16,400 cars worth of bread that just fell out of the sky. Every day they woke up, more bread. That's why the Bible says he gave us daily bread. Bread, and listen, it's spoiled, so God didn't send loaves, he sent it a piece at a time. He sent it a piece at a time. Every time they woke up, it was more bread. Quail. If one, if they ate one to two quail a day, that's three to six million quail. If, can you imagine three to six million birds flying into where Israel is and just falling at their feet and saying, eat me? Quail don't live in the desert. That means... They left home and they served themselves to Israel on purpose. Three million birds, six million birds are so thick in the sky that when the birds flew in, it probably looked like a cloud had blocked the sun.
water coming out of a rock. One writer said that in order for three million people to drink water every day, listen to this, that means that every day 15 million gallons of water had to come out of the rock. Man, if you ain't excited about this, I don't know what to tell you. Every day, God sent at least 15 million gallons of water, not out of a tap or a well, out of a dry rock. That's enough water to cover 46 acres completely. In one week, that's 100 million gallons of water. And here the children of Israel are in the wilderness complaining about what they don't have, notwithstanding that God has just sent 67 million pounds of bread, 180 million quail a month, and 100 million gallons of water a month, and they are complaining. I wish I could have went and tapped all three of them on the shoulder and said, uh, complainers, you are marked by mercy because you should be dead, you should be hungry, you should be thirsty, and yet God is providing. I want to see if there's anybody in this virtual chat room or online who will get out of your feelings and get into the word of God and just start touching yourself and say, I'm marked by mercy. My grandmother died of cancer and I don't even have any tumors. My father died of a heart attack and my heart is pumping just fine. My brother died of a disease and I don't have the same disease. Do you understand how marked you are by mercy? And when you know you are marked by mercy, you walk with your head held high. You don't walk around with your head low. I speak to you, lift up your head, oh ye gay and be ye lifted up ye everlasting doors and the king of glory shall come in. I need you to touch every part of your body. I need you to touch every child in your house. I need you to touch everybody who gets an opportunity to benefit from the rent or the mortgage you pay and just touch them. Touch by mercy, touch by mercy, touch by mercy. Go in your, go in your garage or in your carport or on the street and touch the car and say, I'm marked by mercy. I want you to go and look at your bank account. It might not be full, but it ain't quite empty. Somebody shout, marked by mercy. I need to see it online. I'm marked by mercy. I've been doing too much complaining not to understand that he's been providing for me. He's brought the water out of the rock. He's brought the quail out of the sky. He's brought the manna from heaven. And even though you don't need bread and you don't need quail and you don't need water. There is something that God went through a lot to get to you. Maybe yours was peace. Maybe yours was, was a sound mind. Maybe yours was a relationship. Maybe yours was a healthy child. Maybe yours was a doctor's report. Maybe yours was a reversal of a curse. I need everybody in this chat to just type, I'm marked by mercy. I'm so marked by mercy that everybody who is close to me is going to be a beneficiary of that mercy. I'm so marked by mercy that future generations are going to be marked by the same mercy. I speak 40 years of mercy over your life. I speak decade after decade after decade after decade after decade after decade of mercy. Somebody shout mercy. I can't let it go because I should be in my grave, but I got mercy. I should be in a hospital, but I got mercy. I should be somewhere in an insane asylum, but I got mercy. I should have a straitjacket on, but because of mercy. It is because of his tender mercies that we are not consumed. And when you start thinking about the goodness of Jesus and all he's done for you, it makes you shout mercy, 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 mercy. Somebody shout mercy. God has been too good for you to be marked by your complaints. You have to begin to worship him because you are marked by mercy.
Goodness and mercy has been following you all of the days of your life. You are marked by mercy. You could have an STD that would take your life out by now, but you are marked by mercy. Jesus helped me in this place. I'm, I feel like y'all in the room with me. You're marked by mercy. I ain't mean to preach. I know we're supposed to be having a conversation, but when I start thinking about mercy, I can't hold myself together because it's me receiving from God what God deserves to keep from me. They complained and they still ate. They wanted to turn back and they still drank. Every day, they had a chicken biscuit sandwich and water. Marked by mercy. I want you to think about your life. Should you be where you are right now? Should you even be alive? Should you be employed? Should you be married? Should you be a mother? Have you done anything to mess up any of those opportunities? I think the answer is yes. So instead of complaining, why don't you just start touching yourself and say, I'm marked by mercy. I'm marked, I'm marked by mercy. Now, now, now to Marion, this is where I want you to put verse eight up. Go ahead and put it up for him. I want you to put up verse eight because this is what he says to them. He says, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. God says, and this is why I read it in reverse, because I told you about the mercy first, but now I got to tell you about the condition of your heart, because if I told you about the heart, see, some of y'all can put crutches on your heart and try to make God think it's standing. I wanted to start with you being marked and now I want to back up and tell you, but you got a responsibility to have your heart not be hardened. That word hardened in its original text means to be calloused. Anybody ever had a callous? So what is a callous? A callous is a formation of skin that hardens around an area of friction. And why does the callous develop? is because the callous is the physical response to the situation that says, I'm not going to change my movement. I just don't want to feel anymore. See, the guitarist doesn't stop playing because he has calluses. He plays through the calluses because the goal is, is to be able to strum the strings without feeling. And I wonder how many of you all have become callous to the fact that you're marked by mercy. God's been so good to you, you don't even feel it anymore. Whew. He's brought you out so many times and given you so many gallons of water and has given you so many tons of bread that you go to bed and don't even say thank you. You, you made it through so many months that you thought you weren't going to make it through that you just stop even thanking God 
You walked away from so many near-death experiences that you just take them for granted. It's just calloused. You can come in church and be in the presence or online and be in the presence of an almighty God and can't worship because you're calloused about some hurt that makes you forget that in fact you were marked by mercy. It is because of his tender mercies that we are not consumed. God says, I marked you by mercy, but I'm afraid you've mishandled my mercy. You're calloused. And it's been your response to the proximity. It's your response to what I require out of you. See, if I kept doing this for a long time, the first thing that happens is the hands would get raw. From there, they would bleed. From there, they would get calloused. And from there, I would no longer feel. And when I can't feel, I can't blame myself for my self-destructive behavior. Marked by mercy. Mishandle it because I can no longer feel that God is good. It means you've gotten to the point where emotionally you can't even Admit that it was God that was good, even in the worst of circumstances. God says, Israel, I marked you by mercy. It was only 11 days. It turned into 40 years because you mishandled the mercy. Somebody needs to repent watching me today. You need to say, God, I'm sorry that I took you for granted. I'm sorry that I trusted man more than I trusted you. I'm, I'm sorry that I, I worshiped chariots. I'm sorry that I, that I worshiped my income more than I did the Alpha and the Omega. I'm, I'm sorry that I cared more about a relationship with the person than I did my relationship with you. I'm sorry that I actually walked away from you to pursue somebody who let me down. God, I repent that all that water and all of that quail and all of that bread that you gave me in spite of me, and it's been weeks since I prayed, years since I fasted, months since I said thank you. Lord, I come back because I need that mercy. I'm in the wilderness right now, and there are no gas stations where I am. There, there is no pit stops. There, there are no helps, no AAA trucks. Nothing can come get me. The only way I'm going to get out of this is, is by your hand. God, I'm sorry, and I repent. Somebody just repent to him. Sincerely. Lord, I, I, I apologize that I mishandled your mercy. 
God says, if you will apologize for the mishandling of the mercy. Watch this. He says, once you realize it. Number two. I will reconcile you. I'm going to read a scripture. Um, team, bring it up. Um, let me see. Let me, let me Google this real quick because what I want to do is I want to give you a scripture and the Holy Spirit just gave it to me. And this is the greatest thing about us being live and me having the internet. I want to, I, this scripture just came to mind, but I don't want to misquote it. So give me a second uh, to type it in and see if I can find out where it is. It's Ephesians chapter 2. Um... Let's go to verse number 11. Bring it up, team. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 11. Thank you, Holy Spirit. When the word reconcile came to my mind, I didn't think of this earlier. This is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 11, it says, Wherefore, remember that... Um, that you were formerly Gentiles by birth. And I'm paraphrasing. They, they got the King James Version up. I'm probably, let me see. I'm going to read in the NIV. Let's switch it to the NIV team. Let's go to the NIV. This is, this is live. We're good. Therefore, remember that formerly you were, uh, you, you who are Gentiles by birth are called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Verse 12. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope and without God in this world. So that means that if you were not born a Jew, you were born a Gentile. And Paul is saying to us, well, to the church at Ephesus, directly, indirectly to us, that because we are not Jews by blood, then we have to be saved by blood. And when we were born, we were excluded from citizenship in Israel, not Israel on earth, but the new Jerusalem. Okay. We were excluded from the contract. We were foreigners. Uh, how can I explain this? We're in America. Um, in order to come into an, in, in America and, and, and set up a residence, you have to have a visa. You have to be granted access. Or, or if you're coming from another place, you get asylum. There are a lot of ways, but anybody outside. So, so right now, we live in America. I'm a foreigner if I go to Australia. I'm, I'm a foreigner if I go to uh, Central or South America. I'm, I'm a foreigner. So... And I don't use that word, and that's why I'm using different languages, because, you know, the American mindset is, is that people are foreigners when they come here. But, but guess what, America? We are foreigners when we go other places. Okay? So as we try to enter the kingdom without the covenant citizenship, we were considered foreigners by God because we were not under the Abrahamic covenant. That promise was made to Israel. So we were without hope. Well, what brings us into that hope? Jesus. So Jesus, verse 13, 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have become near. By what? The blood. Oh, this is Bible preaching. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups, Jew and Gentile, one and has destroyed the barrier. Thank you, Jesus. The dividing wall of hostility. This is a, this is a word. By setting aside in his flesh the law, which is which, which its command and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body, here is the word, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you, who were far away and peace to those who were near for through him, we both now have access to the father by one spirit, <laughs> which means God is saying to you that the same thing I did for Israel in the wilderness by blood, by birth. I'm going to do the same thing for you in the earth by blood. And you can expect to walk into a season of undeserved favor and mercy because you have now been brought into the covenant and you are now his through the spiritual circumcision. When you cut away the flesh, by accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior, you now can expect decades, watch this, and it's not a time frame, it is actually a lifelong, non-stop flow of miracles and mercy. I wish I had the Hammond B3 right there. And they can lay in the E flat and let you shout all over your house, that you are now brought into a new land and consequently you are no longer a foreigner, you are no longer a stranger, you are no longer let, uh, locked out of wealth and wisdom, you are now to be brought in as citizens with God's people and you are now members of the household. Good God, can somebody just begin to shout online so I can hear you. You have now been brought into the fold. God says, I have now reconciled you. Any bankers online? Any financial people online? You've heard the word reconcile. It's the process of comparing transactions and activity with supporting documents. So God says, when they question you about how you got in, I want you to show them your documents. Pastor, what's my document? The blood. The blood is the payment that makes the transaction legal that you cannot be locked out of what God 
has for you. And there is this nomer, and, and you can look at it. You can look at it. That in the Jewish community, there is an enormous amount of wealth. God gave it to them by law. God says, I'm about to give it to you through my blood. And the transaction on the, on the cross supports the nonstop flow of miracles and mercy that's getting ready to come through my life through the faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, I now myself am the chief cornerstone and I am the foundation and the whole building is now joined together and rises and becomes a holy temple in the Lord. And I speak in the name of Jesus and in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God himself through his spirit is going to live in you. In the name of Jesus, in the mighty name of Jesus, I speak that all that God is and all that God offers is now living in me. And with my anxiety and with my insecurity and with my depression and with my lack of education and with everything I don't have, I'm still an heir. I'm still worthy. I'm marked by mercy. Everywhere your foot shall tread, God is going to give it to you. And you better get ready for water to just come out of the rocks and not a cup at a time. Gallons at a time. Get ready for opportunities to find you in your desert and land at your feet and say, I'm here to serve you. Yesterday, and I'll say this and I'm finished. I got an opportunity to support another church uh, in the charity golf event. And when I got there, I was paired up with four of the most powerful people in Houston. They had never met me, I'd never met them. Golf has a way of bringing people together. And normally when that kind of stuff happens, you shake hands on the 18th hole, you take your hat off, everybody shakes each other's hand, thank you for a good round. That, that's not what happened. We all took our hat off. We went to the 18th green. We got a lady to take a picture of us. We took out our phones and we started exchanging phone numbers. And then that turned into a group text and that turned into another invitation. And that's going to turn into more blessings and that's going to turn into more opportunities. That's God bringing the bread to you. I speak in your life that you're about to be invited in the rooms that you've never been in. God's about to open doors that you didn't even know you could walk through. 
you're about to have group texts with movers and shakers. People about to show you where to invest your money. Let me speak this over your life because it just happened to me. Some of y'all don't even know what to do next, but somebody who sees the favor of God on your life, they're going to come to you and tell you what step you need to take next. And you don't even know what that step is. I want you to hear the word of, hear the word of God. In this next season, I, I see 12 months. God says, the next 12 months will not be built on the knowledge you acquire, but the steps you can follow. God says, I'm blessing the trainable and the teachable. If you can follow instructions, I can bless you. If you can be a part of a group and not trying to figure out who's the greatest, but just let God figure that out, I'll bless you. Eyes have not seen. Ears have not heard. You can't even imagine the good things that God has in store for you. And they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. I want you to get ready because there is a flow that's about to open up. I mean, millions of gallons of water are about to just flow in your life. You'll be able to create a, create a stream of income with what's getting ready to come. If you believe it, say amen. I want you to type amen in the chat. I want you to get ready. I want to, I want to hear these testimonies. I want to hear these testimonies. I have another testimony in my phone. Uh, if you go back and watch Desperate for Change, um, you'll see that I gave a testimony about a lady with student debt. I got another one yesterday. Let me just tell you, without having to read it all, this lady says, Pastor, you are indeed anointed. The word of the Lord is definitely in your mouth and in your belly. Yesterday, I got a notice that my student loans have been eradicated. Introducing you to the new me. I no longer have this yoke around my neck because $183,767.15 of student loan debt has been wiped away. I love it. Just keep sending them in. Keep DMing them. I'm just telling you, God anointed me for this purpose in this particular season. Now I have a new goal. My, my original goal was a few million dollars in debt cancellation. I apologize to you and to the Holy Spirit for underestimating him. I was thinking about a quail and a piece of bread and a glass of water. My goal now is $100 million of prophetic utterances of debt that will be canceled because of the word that God put in my mouth. Are you going to be one of them? As we get ready to give, and they're putting the giving instructions up on the screen. Don't forget what I read to you in the beginning. For those of you all who were not here, I read Proverbs 11, verse 23. The desire of the righteous is only good, 
but the expectation of the wicked is wrath. Verse 24, there is that scattereth and yet increase. And there are those who withhold and they tend to end up in poverty. The liberal soul shall be made fat and he that waters shall be watered also himself. He that withholdeth the corn, the people shall curse him, but blessings shall come upon the head of him that sells it. I promise, I promise you the word of the Lord will not come back void. I want you to get ready to give, and I want you to scatter these seeds, expecting that this being our 50th, take action, that God is going to institute a year of jubilee. What better season to be in than debt disappearing and flow increasing? Debt disappearing and flow increasing. And I speak that prophetically in your life. I cannot wait till we rise up and build up a generation of more kingdom millionaires. In the name of Jesus, we pray. We give. We give honor. We give thanks. Amen. I love you all so much. Thank you for being here on another episode of Take Action. If I were you, I would make sure that if you are in the Houston area, that you are here at the Lighthouse Church tomorrow at 7 o'clock. We're having a not-your-typical Bible study, and we're going to tackle the text. And I promise you, what we have planned for you tomorrow in this place is going to be amazing. So make sure you are here. We start at 5 o'clock with the food trucks. We've got a DJ. We've got live music here tomorrow, tomorrow at our North Campus, 6650 Rankin Road. We're going to have not-your-typical Bible study. And I'm telling you, you better get here early because the house is going to be packed and it's going to be on fire. And the word of the Lord... And the sound of the mighty Russian wind is going to, it's just going to, it's going to be heard all over the world. So we'll see you tomorrow. God bless you. We love you. And we'll see you soon. Hey, everybody. My name is Pastor Keon Henderson. I am the founder of an organization called Take Action Now. People are always direct messaging me and texting me and saying, Pastor, what are you doing? How can I be a part of what you're doing? And I know everybody doesn't want to be a part of the local church, but what if I told you I had a way for you to partner with me so that we can affect change throughout the world? Hence, Take Action Now, a 501c3 nonprofit organization committed to advancing individual agency and social progress by protecting, strengthening, and uplifting the underserved and disenfranchised throughout the world. We're doing humanitarian things, teaching entrepreneurism, teaching home ownership, and institutional inequities, cultural deficits. We have our ear to the ground, and we need your help to make a difference. Whether it is making a sizable donation uh, to the estate of a young woman who lost her battle with cancer via the internet, and we were able to make a difference there, or whether it is in a underserved community in the Caribbean islands where the children were playing amidst rocks and glass. And we came in and broke ground recently on the park so that athletes and cheerleaders and young people in that community can have a safe place to stir up the gift inside of them. Whether it is paying the utility bills in cold climates for seniors or just helping basketball players get the proper uniforms of football players. It's just us making a difference. 
through financial literacy and technological empowerment and mentoring services. This is what we do. And all I'm asking you to do is become a partner with me right now. And I want you to go visit takeactionnow.org. Don't put off for tomorrow what you can do today. Thank you.